Thank you for listening to The Leader, and please do share the podcast with your friends. You can like, comment, rate, and share through your favourite podcast provider. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marslin. China's Huawei will play a role in the UK's 5G network, and the United States is not happy. Back in 2009-2011, Vodafone Italy discovered backdoors in some of the Huawei equipment. It just sort of added to those heightened suspicions around the company and what could possibly happen. The Evening Standard senior tech journalist Amelia Heathman explains why there are so many concerns about the tech company. Also, at the moment, EU citizens have freedom of movement. That is coming to an end because of Brexit, and so a new system is being designed. Martin Bentham on the new migration rules that this newspaper says could hit London hard. And... I mean, you do something you enjoy, and you work hard, and you put your effort, and if you've got some reward out of the work you do, that's, I think it's, it's marvellous and privileged. Nicholas Parsons has died at the age of 96. Our critic Nick Curtis pays tribute. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, Amelia Heathman on Huawei. Is the Chinese firm really a security risk? This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Before the National Security Council met to discuss the UK's 5G network, the US sent a letter to Boris Johnson warning him not to include Huawei. A post-Brexit trade agreement could be at risk, it said, if the Chinese tech company was allowed into the UK's data network – This afternoon, the UK did it anyway, with limitations. Huawei will be excluded from the core of the network, excluded from nuclear sites and military bases, restricted to no more than 35% in the periphery of the network, and it will be constantly monitored. So what's the concern? Our senior tech journalist Amelia Heathman is covering the story. Amelia, let's start with what 5G itself actually is. Well, 5G is supposed to be the next generation in mobile technology. And so we had 3G, then we had, which was all right, we could sort of browse online when you're on your mobile phone. And then we had 4G, which heralded 
better connectivity and led to the apps kind of ecosystem really exploding. Everyone says we wouldn't have had Uber or Deliveroo and those kind of things without 4G. And 5G, which launched in the UK last year, is supposed to be that next stage. So it's a lot faster. The network has a big capacity, so more devices can be online together. And this is all means that we're kind of constantly connected in a way that hasn't been possible before. Yeah, so it's not just about being able to download a movie in seconds, is it? 5G connects everything to the, to the web, doesn't it? It's going to be a massive revolution in, in, in our lives. Yeah, so the idea is that one of the big kind of arguments for 5G is for things like autonomous cars because the cars need to be able to talk to one another on the network and, you know, and interact, I guess, with the smart lights and things like that to be able to kind of know when to go and stuff. And 5G should be able to herald that in because it's going to be a stronger network, objects can be connected, and they can all be talking to one another all the time. So whoever runs that network has massive responsibility. You said cars could yeah. be reliant on 5G, for example. Whoever runs it has responsibility and therefore possibly control, and that's what the government's worried about with Huawei, isn't it? So the thing with Huawei is that um, they also create mobile phones which are connected, which are 5G phones. But this argument is all to do with the infrastructure. So this is the technology that allows the network to happen, basically. Um, so companies such as EE3, Vodafone, they have all built their 5G infrastructure using Huawei equipment. But people are concerned that Huawei will put back doors in the infrastructure, which would allow the Chinese government to use this for spying purposes. And this is what the US government is really fearful of and why they're trying to stop the UK government from allowing Huawei to be in our 5G network. Is there any evidence that these back doors exist or ever existed? So back in 2009-2011, um, Vodafone Italy discovered back doors in some of the Huawei equipment. One of it was just the home routers are at home. So, you know, you might have a Huawei router at home and you m maybe didn't realise beforehand. And then some was to do with the kind of the infrastructure for the, what will have been then the 3G, 4G network. So they sorted this out in 2011 and there was no uh, there was no evidence that any data had kind of been shared and had been sort of um, targeted in this access in this way. But, you know, this came out in a Bloomberg report last year, it just sort of added to the to those heightened suspicions around the company and what could possibly happen. But Huawei has always maintained that there's no back doors, there's no way for there's no way that the Chinese government has ever accessed this information. Um, obviously, this has been investigated by like the National Security Center and um, GCHQ and things like that. And I think it was last year in May, the chair of the Parliamentary Science and Technology Committee, Norman Lamb, said there was no technical grounds to exclude Huawei because of things like backdoors. And that was what Theresa May made her decision on last year to allow them to access the non-core parts of the 5G network. But is there no one else doing this? Why is everything centered around Huawei? Nokia and Ericsson are doing this and obviously they're quite solid European companies but the thing is Huawei's infrastructure is just more advanced than theirs and it's a lot cheaper because it comes from China. Next. The system is being skewed towards skilled workers who will pay more tax and there'll be fewer lower skilled workers coming. Martin Bentham explains the new immigration rules. Sweeping changes to the UK's migration rules have been revealed by government advisers. They include cutting the minimum salary for employing skilled workers from abroad. But our editorial column fears the new rules could hurt London. 
Migration Advisory Committee forecasts that the capital's economic output will be lower overall than it otherwise would have been because of the changes the government wants to bring in. Although it also adds that GDP per head in the capital will continue to rise. This is the sharp end of the promise to take back control of immigration, which worked so well for Brexiteers during the referendum. Many voters like the sound of an Australian-style point system, which is why ministers keep talking about one. But it is essential this still lets the workers we need into Britain. That's why, beneath the tough talk, the government is actually finding ways to keep the door to the world open. A new visa for people judged to have global talent will allow unlimited numbers of scientists, researchers and mathematicians to come here. That's good news. It is also good news that overseas students will be able to stay here and work after their degree is finished, a freedom which Theresa May foolishly denied. This Prime Minister says that Brexit isn't about cutting Britain off from the world, but reaching out to it. Immigration will be the test. Our Home Affairs editor Martin Bentham's at a briefing on the charges. Martin, what are the big changes being proposed here? What's proposed today is a series of changes to the migration routes for both EU and non-EU citizens. Now, obviously, at the moment, EU citizens have freedom of movement. That is coming to an end because of Brexit, and so a new system is being designed. The government has talked about a points-based system, but in effect, today's report, although it says uh, the government can be free to call whatever system it has, whatever it wants, that... What it really proposes is a refinement of the existing system which has already applied to migrants from outside the EU who are coming here to work. The key change in respect of that is that at the moment there's a, a basic £30,000 salary threshold so that somebody who's paid below that in general terms uh, will find it impossible to come in. That figure, that 30000 figure, which has been a bugbear to employers for some time, is being reduced to 25600 which will make it easier for employers to bring people in. And there's also going to be a special salary level for younger people under 26 which would be a 30 percent lower than that at uh, just over 17,000 and also one or two um, exceptions for teachers and nhs staff what sort of effect is all of this going to have on london the precise impact on london the migration advisory committee again says that the the impacts will be greatest in London, in essence because London has had the highest proportion of migrant workers, in, in particular actually the lower skilled EU workers who work in fields like hospitality and so on. So there'll be a bigger drop there, although what they do do is look back to 2004 and say that from the period of 2004 onwards to now, the, what would have happened if the current regime had been in place uh, 2004, of course, was when uh, the European Union opened up to migrants from Poland and other Eastern European countries. Uh, and what they say is that that would have had a... If, if the changes have recommended today had been applied, that would have left a 3.3% negative impact on economic growth over that period. So 3.3% lower growth over that period would have occurred and there would have been a substantially lower number of uh, eager migrants coming to this country in that period. Which, of course, politically, from the government's point of view, is probably the sort of thing that they want to hear because they are committed still to driving down 
the overall figure of net migration, albeit not by any specific uh, target that was uh, adhered to by the previous government. Will it lead to a reduction in the number of migrants coming to the UK? There will be lower migration into London than there would otherwise have been under today's proposals. GDP per head for the existing population is forecast to, to rise still, so that's a positive. Uh, but you, what you still have is employers will be continuing to be worried about their supply of people in industries such as the hospitality sector, restaurants, obviously, um, that type of area. Construction would be another area potentially. And so there are concerns uh, ongoing about what the impact of today's changes, if adopted by the government, which is uncertain at this stage, uh, what they, the impact will be. No. There's a lot of hanging about, but the Queen is so dignified and does it so beautifully. And it's very flattering to be honoured by your Queen and also in such magnificent surroundings. I mean, they're so theatrical, they're not true. Nicholas Parsons talking after receiving a CBE in 2014. One of the UK's best-known broadcasters, his agent announced his death following a short illness this morning. He was 96. Our critic Nick Curtis is writing a tribute for the Evening Standard and he's with me from his home now. Nick, I read that Nicholas Parsons only missed two recordings of Just a Minute in 52 years hosting the show. He was always the professional. He was, absolutely, and extraordinary to keep up that uh, commitment to work that late into one's life, I think. Um, he died the same age as my father-in-law, 1996, uh, um, and I think that generation just had a totally different attitude to, uh, to what a working life should be than ours does. Tributes are coming from all ages of performers, and that's appropriate for someone who'd been in this industry for such a long time. And who had covered so many bases within that industry. You know, he was the voice of a very early Jerry Anderson cowboy cartoon. Um, he was a straight man to a famous comedian, Arthur Haynes, for 10 years. He was a sort of prototype TV host in um, Sale of the Century, which uh, some listeners of a certain age will, will doubtless remember very fondly. Um, and then there was just a minute on top of all of that as well. I mean, I remember about 10 or 15 years ago seeing, seeing him in fishnets playing the narrator in the Rocky Horror Picture Show which uh, you know went out on tour as well as into the West End, which is an extraordinary arduous thing for a man in his then 80s to undertake. He seems to be quite a, a, an avuncular character as well, somebody who's always ready to give tips and be willing to help those who are coming up, which itself is, is unusual, but it's, it's quite known for being quite a backstabbing industry, the broadcasting industry. It is, I suppose, but again, it's it's certain men of that certain generation. If you think um, Parsons' death now leaves um, David Attenborough as the oldest British broadcaster still in, in sort of regular, if not continuous, work. Um, and Attenborough is the same sort of... I never, unfortunately, met Parsons, although I have met Attenborough. And he seems to have, have that same mix of the utterly professional, utterly avuncular, always looking to how he can sort of help the next generation on. And that's The Leader. Subscribe through your podcast provider and please do share the show with your friends. Tell them we're back tomorrow at 4pm with all the news, analysis, commentary and opinion from The Evening Standard. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. 
QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.